Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show, designers discussing design. We're on episode 68, Painful Playtests. That's what we're going to be talking about. I'm sure if uh, you've ever designed a game, you might have some experience in this department. We're going to chat about some of our personal horror stories of some playtests gone bad and hopefully offer some wisdom and advice on how to make your next playtest a little better. Uh, before we get there, I want to welcome uh, my fellow hosts, Senfeng Lim and Tyler Anderson. How are you gentlemen doing? Ty, how are you doing, bud? I'm doing good. I uh, just woke up a little while from uh, a nice little stretch on midnight, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing well. I've uh, been gaming a ton. That's good. I have not. I've been uh, setting up my courses so that they run very smoothly, and I have four assignments to mark tomorrow. That's what I've been doing. So not a lot of gaming, a whole bunch of school stuff. That's okay. It'll be a late night for you. No, no, it's, it's not bad. I don't teach tomorrow at all, so I have all day to work. But what we're I all, do, we're all getting D's. We're just happy <laughs> to see that you're healthy soon. Yeah, no, I, you know, it's, it's better. Um, but what I did do on the weekend was I got together with Scott Nicholson, in um, Brantford at the BGN Lab, the board game, uh, the Brantford Brantford Gaming Network. I say it's not just board game; it's like all sorts of gaming. Um, so Jesse Wright, Scott Veen Vliet, and that's all you guys would know. Um, and some other teachers from the colleges and universities in London went down to visit Scott while he was running a breakout EDU board game. Not board game, but a game jam. Uh, so 24 hours, 48 hours of us designing uh, breakout experiences, which are like, kind of like reverse escape rooms. And so we did that over Twitch with about 20 other sites that were linked to us via Twitch uh, all over the world, Japan, Italy, U.S., etc., etc. And by the end of the two days, we all, all the groups had developed or at least started to develop somewhat of a breakout EDU, which is an educational breakout box situation where students will learn first and foremost, but by doing a lock box experience, so like a breakout or like a like an escape room experience, but into a box instead of out of a room. So it's kind of cool. There's a lot of really cool stuff in terms of game design and narrative form that Scott used uh, that is really going to help. I think some of well, Jesse and myself and Scott design board games in a different way, perhaps, when we're looking at certain types of board games. So it gives a really good outcome and narrative-first perspective versus puzzle-first perspective. Anyway, so that's what I did on the weekend. School-related, but definitely game-related as well. How about you, Daryl? What are you up to? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I was playing some games, uh, played some Lanterns, uh, played some Machikoro, uh, played some Animals Upon Animals, uh, was seeing family and friends, so some of the more accessible, easy-to-get-to-the-table stuff, uh, playing some prototypes. I uh, got actually to spend uh, a good day on Tuesday with uh, Adrian Adamskew, who I do a lot of co-design with. Um, we got to kind of work out our schedule for this winter on how we're going to start working on some of those designs that we had half-baked that we'd like to continue to cook and get ready for playtest. And, and I hear that you, you made a really cool thing. Yeah, I made a component. I'm not going to show it off yet uh, because we already have a, a publisher interested. Um, and, but it was just uh, we, we, we were working on a game 
Uh, and uh, and all of a sudden, it was funny because I said it. We were trying to make our game smaller. We were trying to make this micro game. And then w- at one point, Adrian's like, yeah, but it'd be cool if we had something that did something like this. And I was like, yeah, we can always bling it up. We can always make the game better and make like a gimmick you thing could, that did this. You bedazzle the game? Yeah, you could bedazzle it this way. Yeah. And, uh, and, McCain, and when I said, what have you done when to I, my fries? When I described, the, when I described the, the, the gimmick, then all of a sudden, Adrian just could not let it go. He was just like, no, I, I need that. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. No, no, but let's try to make this a micro. And then, like, a good ten minutes later, I was like, yeah, I really can't stop thinking about that component either. So, um, yeah, sometimes you just think of something, and, and it's such a good hook that you got to Interesting. So, I mean, this, this could be a, a subject for a future design thing or a future Absolutely. episode uh, where we actually talk about what is patentable. Yep. What's patentable? Yeah. What's a hook? What's what? What do you have to make for the for the pitch? That's true too. Because I mean, conversations talking that, about, uh, about how much do you need to make and how much do you not need to make. Mm-hmm. That so. uh, that level of componentry is where we start looking at what is actually patentable. For sure. Uh, to protect yourself and things like that. There are certain things you should do that for, and certain things you really shouldn't. Uh, but we should probably get a lawyer to actually talk to that about. <laughs> that would be actually, you know, better. Someone with that so. kind of wisdom. Talking about talking about lawyers, uh, there was a fairly significant transaction in the board game industry. Uh, for anyone who yeah. didn't hear, Catan was purchased by Asmodee. And uh, if anyone doesn't know this, they should know this, The our show blossomed out of a relationship of knowing the Nerdnighters. And uh, they do a wonderful uh, video series, uh, uh, the Nerd Nighters, just before our show. So we really want to encourage viewers, if you're looking to keep in touch with, again, designers, but also just the industry in general, they'll do a lot of interviews of publishers, of uh, game industry experts. And this evening, they actually had Larry Rosnia on talking for the first time about the transaction. I really recommend people check out that video. Um, it might still be going. It was. He's also talking close. about his new car. Yeah, talking about his new car. Absolutely talking about. Um, well, Jr. can't stop talking about Megasiv, so there's lots of Megasiv ch- chat in there as well. Um, but wanna wanna give that a plug. Um, check out those videos uh, later. Hopefully, you stay with us tonight. But check those out. Yeah. And so tonight we're talking about painful playtesting, and we've already got questions firing up on the YouTube chat. So if Keep you have coming. questions. Keep them coming. We want them. We will answer as many as we can or get our guests to answer them. Um, so, Daryl, can you explain to me what the premise of tonight's show is? Yeah, so, actually, so a bit of a curveball for anyone that was expecting. We did plug a, a different topic at the end of last week's episode uh, just uh, so that uh, you're aware. That that episode or that idea, we're going to have an episode where it's about um, religious themes and games and uh, we're going to still do that. Uh, all the guests are interested, but a couple of them had to reschedule. They had to cancel last minute just uh, due to other responsibilities. So. Yeah, we, we have some people coming in from overseas, right, for that Yeah, one? so we had Jeffrey Allers coming from Germany, and we had uh, Patrick uh, Lysak from Korea, I believe. So both, the, both of them being at a distance, we want to make sure we do that show right. And we had Philip DeBurry. They're all willing and committed to doing the show again. Uh, hopefully it will work out at a later date. Meanwhile, um, during the daytime, once we found that out, we thought we'll reschedule that. And I got talking to uh, both uh, Gil and to Evan 
who are our guests this evening, and we were talking about uh, what we could chat about, and both of them started talking about some um, playtesting and some experience from that, and we thought, we, we need to talk about this on the episode. This was good material. Um, and also, there was a major announcement that just came out as a press release uh, concerning Evan Derrick today, so we thought, well... Nerdnighters might get the the scoop on Larry Rosnia, but we got the scoop on Evan Derrick. So, Tyler, why don't you read to us the press release just coming out concerning Evan Derrick? All right. Um, since you quickly put me on the spot. <laughs> Except told you um, before it's, the uh, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's been announced that uh, Evan Derrick is now the new king of the world, and everyone will be paying taxes to him. Which the Maple Sherp show gets a ten percent cut. <laughs> yes, Powerball. No, is you. now going to be uh, vice president of a uh, of a gaming company, um, only because I uh, have deleted the email message. Oh, oh well, then I'll read it. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so Evan Derek uh, has joined Van Ryder Games as vice president and creative director. This uh, just released today. Uh, announcing, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Evan has, uh, to his credit, uh, Dark Moon, which was uh, released in 2015 uh, by Stronghold Games, and uh, he's assuming the role of Vice President and Creative Director. In this role, he'll oversee and manage art direction, graphic design, implementing marketing strategies, and help with game development, uh, in addition to other duties. Uh, it You'll see his upcoming stuff this year as he's contributed to both uh, the 2016 releases of Salvation Road, where he's the graphic designer, and Saloon Tycoon, where he's the art direction and graphic designer. And also, which will be a separate announcement, which I'm sure we'll mention when it's public, uh, Van Ryder Games will be publishing one of Evan's next designs, uh, but that will be announced at a later which date. Which I hear so. is super cool. So. Yes. So, yeah, I, I know a little bit about it as well. But uh, <laughs> most people probably know... Um, Van Ryder for Hostage Negotiator, which was a mm-hmm. hit this last year, um, and got a lot of positive above. Anyone, especially low player count, uh, a show that we love, had gave it a lot of love as it is a game that can be played with one person. Uh, so we, uh, yeah, we're really excited to have Evan on the show. And also, as always, we have Gilhova, the the illustrious designer of many great games, from Battle Merchants to the Networks to bad medicine, so we're really excited to just jump into the yeah, conversation with them. Yeah, let's just bring him on. Let's just bring him on. There's Mr. Hova, and there's Mr. Derek. Hello. 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 I should Hello. also mention uh, Formal Ferret is the publishing uh, house that uh, Gil Hova is responsible for, and uh, growing into one of the not little guys anymore. Uh, seems to be at all the shows, and a popular... A popular spot amongst the exhibit halls now. I'm hoping so. Hoping to keep it continuing in 2016. Awesome. So uh, let's get the ball rolling with questions. Questions, questions, questions. Um, <clears throat> so today we're talking about play testing. Let's start it off with the whole idea of painful play testing, which is what we called this episode. It's always painful. Why? Tell me why, Evan. Why is playtesting painful for you, and what's some tri- tips and tricks that you have to make it even less so? Basically, you're begging sometimes your friends and family, oftentimes uh, random strangers, uh, sometimes people you found on the Internet, 
to essentially play what is probably a broken game. And not just play it once, but play it over and over and over and over. And not just play it, but then give you detailed feedback on it. And you're not going to pay them anything to do it. <laughs> you're just asking them to please do it. You mean like and your pizza aren't payment? No. Uh, so I, I've, dis- I've discovered that that is easily the most painful part of this. I am Absolutely. unfortunately not a such a well-renowned designer that I can have people flocking to me, begging to play test my games. Seriously. Hey, man, I beg you all the time. I say, Evan, <laughs> send me up a print-and-play or a prototype, and I will play test those games to death. You, and you say... Will you um, print it? Will you print it? Well, that's, actually... That's, actually, a good, actually that's, that's a good topic. That is a good topic. But one of the things you did say is... Well, that game takes a lot of printing, so exactly. and then you never got back to me because you're a bastard. <laughs> I'll, I will send you the files if you will print them and play That's them. That's right. That's right. I love it. I love it. We're, we're going to get into all that fun stuff. How do you get people to play tests from a distance? But before we get there, I want to jump to Gil here and ask, what has your experience been on the other side as a playtester? Maybe even before you were a designer, did you... Did you, in your early days, play test for someone else before you caught the designer bug? No, I was play testing uh, right from the start. Like that's uh, when I started going to designer conventions. I remember one of the first was uh, Powwow. I don't know if you guys uh, heard of that one. That was uh, Stephen Glenn's convention in Charlottesville. Oh, uh, I've heard legends of this. Yes. So that was, I think, one of my first designer experiences. And uh, right about that time, also, I found a group in New York City. Uh, this must have been around 2003, 2004, and this group is still going strong. Uh, had uh, run these days by Josh DeBonis, uh, one of the co-designers of the video game Killer Queen, although this is a board game uh, playtest group. He dabbles in board games as well. So, um, so yeah, between those two uh, groups, I started really uh, learning how to playtest, and it is a really important skill set for a designer, because the more you test other people's games, the better you get as a designer. Alright. Tyler, what's your... Uh, yes, we have a question from the audience. Uh, Sir Bob has asked, um, while you're explaining a game, have you ever just had someone just roll your eyes, look at you like you're crazy, and just like, yeah, I'm out, and just walk away? Is that, has that ever happened to you, Evan? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. On to the next question. <laughs> well, how do you deal with that? Uh, I mean, you just you just brush it off because you are essentially asking people to play something that usually looks kind of like crap. Oftentimes, while they are surrounded by many other beautiful, interesting games being played, why would they want to sit down and do that? So I specifically had one memorable moment where <clears throat> someone you mentioned earlier, Sen, <laughs> did... <laughs> Uh, by the name of <coughs> Scott Nicholson, <coughs> um, uh, was walking by a table where I was playtesting something, and I drug him in to playtest my game. And initially, he was not very happy about it. But he played oh, the one he always uses stories. But he played the whole thing and really and 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 gave me some great feedback. But yes, I have had people walk away. Uh, at conventions, begging people to play your games is one of the hardest, is, is actually very hard to do and kind of humiliating sometimes. 
Now, coming from the other side of the table, I can totally understand that because I myself am a very visual thinker. Um, so if if and I've seen a lot of prototypes with Sen and Daryl where it's just you know a line and a it's word in this box, and at, as you play it, it's just like I just can't I can't see the game, so I don't I don't visualize what it's supposed to be doing. It's just a cube, and it does this and. For some people, it's just like, yeah, I'm a visual thinker. I need to see more on it. and So I, I understand where some people are coming from, but at the same time, the designers, like, they see it in their brain, and, and they, they get it. There's a huge debate on how good your prototype should look. I know some people, and I'm one of them because I'm a graphic designer, who spends probably too much time making uh, prototypes look good. But then other people will say, no, 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 they'll just scribble on note cards, and that's what they do, which, honestly, it really comes down to your style. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so, Jill, what do you, Gil, what do you do in terms of prototyping? Are you a notepad, scratcher, you know, mark it up with whatever, or do you go full out with art and all that kind of stuff? I mean, I've played some of your prototypes, so I know, but... Yeah, it depends on what stage I'm in. Uh, right now, I'm in the early stage of a uh, new design, uh, and, oh, I wish I had it handy, because uh, I could show you. You know, it's just a bunch of... Uh, it, it's really hideous. It's uh, a couple of stock images from Google, and then uh, a bunch of really... Yeah, oh, something oh. like that. <laughs> something just like that, Tyler. Um <laughs> uh, actually, no, it's, it's printed out, so, you know, it's it's clear and clean, but, you know, there's points where I've got numbers where normally I'd have icons, like I've got a minus one, zero, one, or two, when really they'd be different icons, and I'm asking my testers to just bear with it, because I don't even know if that mechanism's going to work. But as the game gets more and more refined, uh, the nicer stuff is slowly going to sink in, and at some point it's going to look a little better. You know, it's never going to look... Uh, totally polished until I get to the point where I'm, I'm like, okay, the game's just about done. Uh, I can now get this thing um, to a graphic designer. So it really depends on what point. You know, I, I don't really like to... Um, to really do a lot of graphic design work, partially because I'm not a graphic designer, until uh, the design is mostly settled. Mm -hmm. So when you are playtesting, how do you find people react to your not so well designed graphically or graphically appealing <laughs> stuff. So uh, I'm really lucky in that I've been able to cultivate a good playtest group around here. So those early stage design, it's mainly other designers who are seeing them. So they don't mind because uh, when we finish th my prototype, we're going to break out one of their prototypes, which probably looks just as rough. And so okay. we have the license for everything to look pretty lousy. So um, basically if I'm you're saying that Evan is raising the bar too high for himself. Uh, I am not going to speak for Evan. I mean, I, I, to, to be honest, a lot of graphic designers, a lot of people who are in, uh, you know, from the art point of view, they're going to tend to make nicer looking prototypes. Uh, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, Evan, but that's We're just a trend I've seen. Really yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's really, um, I think you, you work on what you uh, enjoy, and um, Evan, I assume you're a graphic designer partially because you enjoy good graphic design, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's painful. It's painful for me to release a prototype that looks like crap. It like part of my soul shrivels and dies 
<laughs> but that's so, me. I've seen your soul. It's pretty small already. Thankfully, it my is. soul's already gone, so I don't need to worry. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I think it really depends. And I know that people who are more graphically oriented, they're going to make nicer-looking first prototypes. And, you know, that's fine, you know. I think the important thing is you don't spend, like, three weeks working on the perfect board and stressing about the kerning on the cards yes. before the very first playtest of the game. Yeah, Good advice there. I mean, I, I've seen, especially... New designers fall victim to to that, so people take note. Um, you know, have fun with the art, but uh, don't fall down that that rabbit hole of working too far or too long on something that may completely change in the next iteration. So, yep. Um, I want to I want to bounce back to Evan. We've heard of already a few examples, but I'm curious for you. Where do you find are some of the best environments? for getting quality playtest results. And uh, that could be anything from, you know, room dynamics to conventions to type of playtesters. Um, I think going back to something Gil said, some of the best playtesters are other designers because you kind of all just join together and suffer together. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like... Why do you make our job sound like hell? <laughs> it's a social contract. It's like... Okay, I'll play your crappy broken game if you agree to play my crappy broken game. Okay, I'll agree to that. That definitely happens. All and the then time. we'll and then we'll play your crappy broken game again next week. It will play mine. So I. But it's say, less crappy and less broken the next time. Yeah. Just Always because. Is, yeah. Just I'd say that the 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 best play testers are rare. They're people who are really good at developing games. Um, and really good at pinpointing uh, issues with them without necessarily offering solutions. Oftentimes you'll play with people and they'll say, I think you need to change this, um, and you need to do this different. And that's not always very helpful, but if, 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 if a playtester says, I feel like I am blocked and can't do things and I'm not having fun, those are really quality playtesters, but those are, those are rare. So in the absence of getting the really amazing uh, playtesters, uh, other designers are probably your best bet. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm a big fan of Ignacy Trevishek, uh, and uh, uh, I'm sure I'm butchering, it, butchering his name, as most people do. You're, you're not doing Thank it you, Gil. No, it was terrible. That was awful, Gil. It was awful, I, but not as bad as You just made me feel better. That's awful. Say, say it, Daryl. Say his name, Daryl. Ignacy Trevisek. Oh, God. Well, that was, that was not too bad. For, so, Ignacy, weird um, name and all, well, weird name to us Americans, um, or Canadians, I suppose, uh, has um, a, uh, he, he's sort of categorized his playtesters, and I really like his categoriz categorization system. I can't talk at all tonight. Category, okay, you know what I mean. Uh, so, <laughs> first off, He's got what he calls a silent playtester. That's his wife, Mary. And um, he will say, okay, I've got a brand new design for a game. Totally new. I'm just going to sit you down and we're going to play it together. And she'll play and she won't say a thing. You know, she'll just, um, you know, silent. And she, she, she knows because it's, he sees uh, what's going on. Um, 
He just needs to see the parts moving around. He's just, that's all he's seeing. It's just a smoke test at that point. You know, he's just seeing if there's smoke coming out of it. You know, what's working, what's not. Big picture. Once it gets to a point where it's like um, in decent shape, he takes it to what he calls his brilliant play testers, and his brilliant play testers are the ones who say, oh, this is good, but have you thought of doing this? Have you thought of doing that? And that's where, like, mechanisms get pulled out, mechanisms come in, and the game starts to really find its incentives and its and its core engagement. Uh, then once it really becomes a game, then he goes to his third set of taste testers, and those are his, what he calls his crazy testers. And those are the ones who are going to play the game completely unlike how he expected anyone to play it, and they're the ones who are going to find the broken strategies, uh, the uh, degenerate strategies, uh, things like that. He is the story of... Um, I think four weeks or so before Essen, like a really short amount of time before Essen, he had a crazy tester uh, play Stronghold, and uh, I, I think it was a two, yeah, two-hour game. Somebody was able to succeed as the invaders without playing any of their cards, uh, which was <laughs> completely against what he wanted for the game, and this Why was so close to Essen. Painful. Oh my gosh! Talk about it. That must have been a very painful, painful playtest. So, uh, you know, he managed to figure it out. But you know, those three kinds of tests, you know, those could all have their own kinds of pain. For sure. Tyler, you're up. Oh, excellent. Um, now, along that lines, um, when do uh, we'll go to you, Evan? When do you feel that? I don't want to say play-tested enough, but when when do you, for designers out there, at what point you're like, yeah, you know what, there, there still might be some input that's needed, maybe that's going to come from the publisher, but it's it's ready to present. Wait, ready to present to a publisher, to or a publisher, it's yeah. ready to be published? Ready to present to a publisher because I know and there's a which is, which is a good which is a good question. Mark. <laughs> like maybe before and after. Yes. Yeah. So pretend <laughs> pretend that we didn't do the press release because really Tyler didn't. Exactly. Uh, it man, that depends on the publisher and how well you know them. Some publishers will look at games that need a lot more development, and some publishers want to look at games that are almost cut and dry, ready to go. Yep. So that's kind of, there's a bit of an art to when you present a game. Uh, well, the, there's the reason I'm asking this question, so I want to hear your answer first, and then I'll come with my second question. Okay. I'd say that there's, an, there's, there's, there's something of an art to it. I've presented stuff too early, and, um, but also I've made the right decision and presented things when they weren't developed as fully as they could have been, but the publisher saw what it could be. Um, a lot of it is just your own intuition on, on when it's ready to go. Honestly, the best thing is that when you're, when you're reasonably proud of it, you should show it to a publisher. Uh, that's the best benchmark. That's an interesting right. statement, yeah. So hmm. then the second half of my question is, why are there so many crappy games that obviously, obviously the publishers have not said, hey, well, is this playtested properly? Because they <laughs> suck! Are we talking about games that didn't come off Kickstarter? <laughs> no, that's, a, that's an honest question. Yeah, well, yeah. It goes back to why playtesting is so painful. It is. It is a lot. In in order to do it really well and really run a game through its paces is a long, very drawn out process. 
and oftentimes people will just stop doing it. There's a lot of design. A lot of designers will test games just by themselves with the games and not open it up to blind play testing. And what happens is a lot of designer bias uh, sneaks in when you're play testing with your family and friends, or even when the designer is sitting there with a bunch of strangers. They're going to be much less likely to bag on the game or even uh, ditch on it. Also, the designer has the ability to explain it from his brain, which is often the best way. They're not learning straight from a rule book. So when you remove those elements, um, if you don't blind test, if the designer's always present, you can get a really skewed perspective on the quality of the game. And so mm -hmm. I think a lot of times when, they're when crappy games are published, the publishers don't think they're crappy. They actually think they're good. They just haven't run it all the way through its paces to figure out what the problems are. Yeah, well, these are always painful. There, there are degrees of goodness, and everyone is yes. different. That's the main thrust of how I do my reviews or overviews. But let's be honest, there is some crap, just downright crap, and it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, but you don't do videos on that, do you? I've done a couple. <laughs> so um, let's bring this back to playtesting and potential crap. Uh, so, Jill, let's talk to you about um, when you are playtesting a game and it's getting painful, what do you do? Do you uh, stop it? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the kind of pain, but... Uh, <laughs> Piercing, stabbing, physical pain. Yes. People have passed out. One person's bleeding from their eyes. On yes. a scale of 1 to 10. I think that's a great playtest. Actually, no, I'm actually serious. This is actually serious. I think that's usually a really good playtest, you know? It, some people call it a bad playtest, but that's an important playtest because... Yeah, I think important's has, a better way to speak yes, that. Yeah. Something has gone wrong, and you have an opportunity now. The patient is open on the table... <laughs> and you see what's wrong, you know, and and you have an opportunity to, to to do a real good diagnosis. Like, okay, guys, what's going on? Has the game state just totally stopped? Have we regenerate? Have we gone backwards? Um, has one player gone ahead way too far? Has one player fallen behind way too far? I mean, runaway leader, fall away trailer. What's going on? And um, they're painful and difficult playtests, but they are so important to make it through. So a lot of times, you know, I'm. If, if this is one of those earlier playtests, I'll stop there and I'll say, all right, what are you thinking? What's going on? Let's talk about what's happening now. How are you feeling? Uh, what do you wish you could do? Uh, what do you think got you in this situation? That sort of thing. And uh, that's the kind of thing where when you see it, and your playtesters will usually tell you. They'll tell you right away, okay, there's a problem here, um, I'm totally stuck, you know, or this player is totally running away with it, or the game has stopped and we're just going to loop on this in infinitely. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I usually do um, for a painful playtest. Uh, the exception is if we're doing a blind playtest, and a blind playtest is, by definition, extremely painful. <laughs> and my procedure for the networks for blind tests was to give uh, the group the rule book and then sit in the corner and writhe silently. Um, it's, it is horrifying yeah. to see them. Now, thankfully, yeah. it got to a point where, you know, people started saying... Oh wait, we screwed this rule up, you know. Yep. And then they they realized they and they eventually got it right. But you know, of course, that was a note like, They're okay, like, this bit ah! could be cool. yeah, yeah. And you <laughs> know, I your hand off trying in. to comment. 
Exactly, exactly. You know, so that is uh, so those tests, uh, and for that, for a blind test, I only step in if it's clear things are going really, really south and going any further wouldn't give me any value. That's the only time where I'll, I'll materialize. I'll say, okay, I've got the note. Um, I'm going to fix this the next version of the rule book. So it's A, B, C, and, and so on. Good. Absolutely. Excellent. Absolutely. Thank you. That was the, the word productive, I think, is a really good way of looking at it. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. You, you can make, you can turn anything around to make it useful to you. Um, you, and your you know, it's an deal. Yeah, actually, uh, I, let, let's actually, I want to talk a little about actual genuine bad play tests, because they do exist. Yeah, um, for sure. Save it, save it. We'll get there. Okay, we'll... yeah, let's get, yeah. For sure, for sure. Um, I'll, on that note as well, I just want to mention or encourage our viewers, and uh, if you notice someone's not here and they're usually here, feel free to uh, remind them or invite them into the chat. We uh, really are thankful for our viewers and the conversation that happens on the chat. want to remind people, feel free to send in your questions, or if you have Twitter, uh, feel free to send uh, your question via Twitter, uh, because we really want to uh, capitalize on this opportunity to uh, ask our guests or even talk during the after show about uh, the questions that you have. Uh, one question I have um, that I regularly ask or observe other designers do is what are some of your go-to questions or some of your go-to uh, measuring tools during a playtest? I'm going to pass this to Evan first, but do you have any specific questions that you use after you've done a session that you ask players or try to uh, measure with? Yeah, a lot. A lot of it depends on the game, but the two two basic questions I always ask, which I think are are, are, are applicable to all games, all playtests, all times, is one, what did you have fun with, and two, what wasn't fun? I find that those are the best uh, open-ended questions. They'll very quickly say, oh, well, I didn't have fun when I got this card that blocked me from doing X, Y, or Z, or, man, I really had fun with this thing over here. And those are... Uh, those are the simplest, uh, easiest, and uh, will often give you the best feedback. Cool. Uh, Evan, uh, since we're on you, I have a quick question about the evolutions of a game during playtesting. Uh, could you speak on that for a second? Yes, I saw, um, I saw a meme a little while ago about the creative process that I'm going to read to you. It, it was a colorful meme with some colorful language, so I'm going <laughs> to modify that. But it's about the creative okay. process. It can apply to anything, but it very much applies to this. Step one, this is awesome. Step two, this is tricky. Step three, this is crap. Step four, I am crap. <laughs> Step five, this might be okay. Step six, this is awesome. And I find that oftentimes playtesting exists in the step four space. <laughs> I am crap. <laughs> um, or this is crap, I am crap. Um, as your game goes out into the world and runs up into people, um, it can be very depressing. So Gil calls those bad playtests productive. I go into a corner and crawl up and die <laughs> and wonder why I'm doing this and... Uh, I have no purpose in life, and why did my wife marry me? <laughs> but it means you, if there's hope for you. It means you still have a soul. I have no soul left. So yeah. So in the way a game evolves, um, there's a couple of stages of uh, of, of playtesting. There's initial um, playtesting, which is what I do personally with people. 
just to kind of make sure that the game isn't severely broken in some ways. And that's usually a lot of fun. Um, but then I open it up to my playtesting network and a lot more blind playtesting, and that's when it becomes uh, much more uh, depressing. But it's also very uh, helpful. So it's, it's an important part of the process, but one I don't particularly enjoy. I wish I could just create games that were brilliant like, and never have to playtest them. So I want to playtest a game. Um, you have to guess what famous hand people have drawn. So you have to like put your hand, trade it, and say, what famous person's hand is... So let's play... No, never mind. Tyler Anderson! <laughs> Do I win? You're you a win the internet. Yeah. <laughs> so back to those bad playtests that you wanted to talk about. Um, let's chat about those. Yeah. Tell me, yeah, tell me about, your, about the bad experiences. Okay. Um, a lot of those tests will... So there's a few of them. Um, my biggest nightmare, the worst kind of play test you can have, is when you finish the test and you say, just like Evan asks, you know, Evan, Evan's point about what do you ask, you know, that those are great things. You know, what did you enjoy? What didn't you enjoy? Uh, the worst thing you can hear is, yeah, it was okay. I liked it. What did you enjoy? Well, it was, it was good. What did he enjoy? Uh, nothing really stuck out. And that's the worst. That is the worst possible result because your game is completely unmemorable and it's yeah. mediocre and there's nothing, you know? And um, that at that point, that's to me is the worst case scenario because at that point you really have to take it back and sit on it and think about it because you really... It's good isn't good enough anymore, you know? You really... In this market nowadays, you have to be amazing to stand out. Um... Fantastical. So, yeah, totally. That every that, that, yeah, yeah. Is is that Bonacore's term? <laughs> totally, is Bonacore. <laughs> <laughs> so there's and there's 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 other kinds of tests. Sometimes you test with people. Let's call them high maintenance people. And uh, the test stops being about the game, and it starts being about them. You know, they throw a temper tantrum because they're they're not winning anymore. You know, they get uh, over competitive. The they start. You know, and it, uh. it, it really stops being about the game. And uh, you know, for those, you just have to little make a mental check mark and finish the test as soon as you can, and say thanks so much for your time, and never test with them again. You know, so so those two situations, those are my two bad play tests. You know, one is worst case scenario, your game is in big trouble, and number two is um, oh, and there's a number three. Actually, I hit a number three, which is kind of weird. Number three is you well, play. Well, everything comes in threes, so it's it not does, that weird. It? Yeah. So this one is, is rarer, but it, it's happened to me. You know, you test a game with a group, and the group loves it. Like, they're so into it. They're role-playing in it. They're, they're really enjoying it. They absolutely love it. And then, you know, you finish and you go to another game, and, you know, they suggest a game that you're not as crazy about, and they play it, and they love it. You know, they're so crazy about it, and you're like, well, this game's okay. And Then you leave them, and maybe you walk by them at the convention later on, and they're playing this absolutely terrible game, and they love it. They're having such a great time, and you realize they just love every single game, you know, and they just don't really view games critically, and you realize that the feedback you got from them is it's really not useful, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. That, that was a story about Tyler. I once had a playtester, going back to what you said, Gil, about the people, it becomes all about them, who, who got angry because he was losing, 
and looked at me and said, did you even playtest this? I said, <laughs> that wasn't me, was it? No, it wasn't. I was like, what Honestly, do you think I never we're your game doing? Together? This is the point. That's <laughs> uh, funny. I'll tell you one of, uh, one of uh, my worst playtest experiences uh, is when people try to change the game to what they want the game to be. That is t- that's tough. Mm, yeah. That is tough because I typically only play test with designers, and novice playtesting designers always they'll try to to make it their game. Yep. Which and I used to do this too when I was starting out. So th- this is a hint to be a good playtester. Ask the person who's designing the game what their design vision is, mm-hmm. and then flow into that as opposed mm-hmm. to imposing your will upon it. Or if you're going to suggest something you think would be really cool, at least say, but that's, that's something I think I would like in the game or I would put in the game if it was my design. I understand this is, you know, it might not be what you want. At least add that caveat so there's a little bit of, uh, you know, humility involved and yeah, understanding that it's not your game. <laughs> Absolutely. This is great advice, people. I mean, uh, let's just continue to flow, actually, out of that. I'm going to ask Evan. Out of that, I mean, I've heard of some designers who they just design the start of their game until it works. I've heard people that they they will just play test for a fixed amount of time. Uh, what are some of the different ways that you might even play test a game other than just the traditional, like, sit down, play the whole game? Do you ever Do you ever break up the experience? Do you ever... Um, you know, have a goal with certain tests where you're just looking for something. Uh, what, what are, or have you heard or seen other people that run play tests uh, in kind of a creative way? Um, I will say that most, as a design, most designers, uh, the best thing you can do is over time figure out what works for you because there's just like no one way to do any of this stuff. There's no one way to make your prototype look. There's no one way to conduct play tests. There's so many different ways. There's so many different options. It all comes down to what works for you. So for me, I'm just sorry. I'm usually reading a comment online. I'm usually (laughs) so. uh, You can share that in a second, Tyler. When I'm done talking, I apologize. (laughs) That Um, said something really funny. So uh, sorry. You can. uh, You can. I, I tend to just be so thankful that people are sitting down and playing my game that I'm just willing to get whatever kind of feedback I can get from them. So I don't tend to engage in more creative play tests. I know Ignasi, he tends to just like scribble some stuff on a cards and almost like role play the game to see if it like works. Uh, I don't do that. I usually end up with a, a, a completed rule set. I come with what could be a completed finished game. And that's just how I do it. So I'm I'm much more conventional in, in how I play tests, and I, I'm not very creative at all. So it's like if I can if I can get you at the table and you'll play my game, I'm very happy for whatever feedback I can get. Tyler, what's up? Oh yeah, so uh, Beth uh, yes. made a comment. Share the on the, share on the, the YouTube feed. Uh, you should make some bad play tester stickers like those I voted stickers and stick them on people's backs. Serpent, I don't know how to say that <laughs> word. That would be, or you could have like a sticker on a game Surreptitiously. like four out of five play testers agreed this game was all right. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's from funny. a marketing standpoint, that <laughs> <laughs> that might actually be okay. I going off of that, Tyler. I will. I will say I do have a piece of advice for designers when yeah, they right are play testing. Um, if you can get people to sit down and play your game, no matter if they're terrible playtesters, no matter if they're the people who make it about themselves or try to change the game to themselves or whatever, if they have taken the time to sit down and play your game, do them the courtesy of listening to whatever they say. I feel like that's, that's part of the social contract. Um, if you're willing to sit down for a few, you know, 30 or 40 minutes and play my game, I should be willing to listen to whatever feedback you have, mm -hmm. whatever you have to say for a couple minutes. Yeah, without uh, being defensive? Without being defensive, don't be defensive. Just be like, oh, yeah, that's really interesting, and you know, take some notes or whatever, and you can discard their feedback totally later. Mm -hmm. But I have played with the designers where I've offered feedback. Maybe some of it was good, maybe some of it was bad, and they just shoot it down immediately and make me feel terrible. And I think, why did I play your it's game? All about Evan. Remember that always. It's, it, all it's all about me. Come on, he needs he oh. needs a little pad, a little stroke. <laughs> yeah, now, now that you made me feel real bad for interrupting you, Evan, what would you like to say? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, on I, that point, though, uh, Gil, with what Evan was just talking about, um, how do you, when you are playtesting with people, how do you? Do you take the? I mean, obviously you're professional. Do you take things personally? Do you like, oh hey, you know, thanks for your feedback, idiot? Or like, how <laughs> how do you, how do you handle with the different types of people that you describe the different types of playtesters? Oh, you can't take anything personally. I mean, there's so many different kinds of gamers. There's so many different kinds of tastes. Uh, you could have uh, the most amazing game in the world, and someone is not going to like it. I mean, just go to your favorite game. Go to Dominion or Race for the Galaxy or Dead of Winter or whatever game you think is amazing. Go to Board Game Geek and look at all the ones. There, You'll just see pages and pages of ones. So, you know, just understand that you're, you, some of the feedback you get may just be just a bad match for a playtester. You know, that yeah. said, when um, people give me feedback that I think is not what I was expecting, I sort of, I write it down, you know, um, file it away. And then maybe in a future test, um, and I'm lucky in that I get to playtest a lot, uh, like one or two times a week. So Jeez. maybe later that week, yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky that I, I'm you in that opportunity. You are lucky. So, um... Uh, so maybe later that week I'll be playing again, and I'm playing with a different group of people, and now I hear that they, again they say exactly the same thing, and now my you know the, the my my antenna are up. I'm like, wait a second, I've heard this twice from two different testers, and then. Um, you know, sometimes I'll go ahead and act on it right away. There are times when I'm like, you know what, I'm not sure those were both strangers, and then when I hear it a third time, then it's like, okay, I definitely have to do something. Now, the interesting thing is uh, what to do, um, because sometimes people will tell you, you know, I wanted, you know, I want to be able to say... I want to be able to move three times on a turn instead of once. You know, they'll they'll say things like that, and 
but it turns out the problem is not that they uh, can't move three times the term a turn. The problem is moving isn't meaningful enough. So you can keep them moving only once a turn, but make sure they're they're going to more interesting actions or more interest, interesting spaces when they move. That's sort of an example of when people give you feedback. A lot of times the root cause is not actually what they're saying. Like they'll give you a solution, uh, but the root cause is something deeper. And sometimes you have to really dig in and yeah. look for the commonality there. I know of some big-time designers who say, don't give me solutions, just give me problems and I'll find the solutions. But well, you know, it depends on your style of, uh, of testing. I'm fine with people giving me solutions because I can usually look past them and see what the root cause is. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's really a, a skill, right? To read yeah. between the lines oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. interpret. Absolutely. Yeah, and usually, like, um, I think I've said this before on the show, that what I look for is trends in the data. I don't, exactly like you're saying, I don't take the word or the solution as, you know, de facto, this is what's going to work. But I see, did seven people say something about, you know, not enough variability in whatever, uh, in some way, shape, or form? And then that trend then forms my next design decision. So, Evan, let's talk about, you know, finding playtesters. You're having trouble. How are you going to do it? How are you going to incentivize people other than pizza and beer um, to engage your new company? Because now that you're the VP, is that one of your roles, finding playtesters, yeah. running playtests? How are you going to do it? Um, I have a... I have a few things I do. One, I I tend to offer I offer free copies of the game if they play test a certain amount. Gamers like goals; they like earning things. So you're gamifying that, game playtesting. Awesome. Yes, absolutely. Now that comes with a uh, actual cost associated with it, which can be you have to be very careful with that. You can end up like, for example, on Dark Moon. I ended up. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, Bonacore agreed to split the cost with me, but I would have I would have shilled out essentially five or six hundred bucks my just myself to deliver copies of the game to the playtesters. Wow! Um, yeah, but I was willing to do that to get them involved. Wow! Um, so another way that is non you can always give people credit in a rule book. That's easy. But mm-hmm. one thing I found is that for people who are exceptional playtesters, I tend to let them... I, I create very thematic games, so I tend to let them name characters, mm-hmm. cards, places, all that stuff. All that stuff's up for grabs. Personally, I don't really care what any of the characters are named, but for a playtester, it can be a big deal to name a character sure. after their son or their mother who just passed away or anything really? like that. Yeah, that's a great idea. I often offer those incentives to playtesters, and oftentimes that makes them feel very involved, and Mm -hmm. really enjoy that. Yeah. So just so you know, Evan, uh, Mr. Glenn is calling you old. He is. He's calling you old. Why is he calling me old? He said he remembers when you were a baby face. (laughs) (laughs) I am getting old. Do you see? Do you see all the gray hair? There's a lot of it. A wisdom. Wisdom. Yes. At least I'm some not, people have hair. That's true. Show us your your baldness. <laughs> oh, look how much beautiful hair you have down here, Tyler. 
I can't. If I grow a beard, I look like a refugee. It doesn't work. I'm actually very envious of the glorious mane you have grown on your chin. That's all. <laughs> chin mane. Just, just grows. But it's true. I am getting old. I turned 35 this year, and I I oh, feel that's old. I'm not talking, Evan. <laughs> Evan. I'm like I'm like almost a decade older than you, buddy. You you drink from the fountain of youth, Sen. And yeah, well, when I found no, out you know, how we'll, old we'll you we'll drink were, we'll drink to your uh, birthday again you, this year, as we you always look do. Like you're every five year. years younger than me, so <laughs> it's your genetics. There are there are one or two gray hairs up here. You just can't. <laughs> one or two. Uh-huh. Yeah, one or two. <laughs> Who's got next question? I've lost track. I, I have a question. Uh, yeah, go for it, like, I'd like Daryl and uh, you, Sen, to uh, just talk about a oh, bit. Sure. And that's uh, with the point you made, Sen, um, the processing of the data. Because we've talked about, oh, playtesters this, getting information. Uh, from a designer standpoint, um, do you have a process of evaluating that information and saying, okay, you know, this might work. I should look at doing this. Or this guy didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Yeah, I can I can jump in first on that one uh, because uh, I have a specific process as uh, as Evan was talking about. Each person has to kind of find their own. One uh, what I do is I am not a note taker um, at the moment. So uh, and there's a couple main reasons that I do that. One is I I find that it's more engaging not to like be mentally looking down and scratching things down and then trying to read the room. And the reaction, especially right away, like that's a you know you got a captive audience, you got to read a lot of information very quickly. So I don't uh, write anything down during the test. But what I I usually do is a short amount after, so maybe 30 minutes after a test, I will actually pull myself away and I will jot down as much things as I can. Um, so if I'm at like a snakes and lattes play test night or um, I'm play, even playing someone else's game, and we've gotten through the rules, and now we're you know, going around and taking turns. In my downtime, I'll start now scratching down all the things that I heard and you know, ideas that sparked from their comments, you know, what trends might, you know, as uh, Gil was mentioning, things to listen for for future playtests, all that kind of stuff. And I'll try to just scribble down as much that was memorable. And then I'll come back to those sheets after I've compiled a few of those and start seeing if there's trends that are popping out from those. So that's that's one thing for me that I'm very adamant about. For me, I don't write anything down live, but I try to write something down that night. Hmm. Yeah, so for me, the data is... Uh, typically, my process is listen first. Um, and like Daryl, I don't write at the table as much. I write while people are playing, but while I'm questioning them, I don't tend to uh, write as much. Uh, I'm a trained therapist, so my job is listening to people, typically. Uh, and so I remember a lot of it, um, and I take notes, little jot notes here and there, but not copious amounts. Yeah. Um, I kind of, uh, just to jump on you, yeah. Sen, right there, I, I, I kind of describe it as, like, case notes. Yeah, that's so, exactly like, what they like. So, like, as you do your session, it's one thing. It's another thing, like, after the session to make sure to have some stuff to, to turn to. Yeah, and so from there, what I do is it's almost like qualitative research. If anybody out there knows what qualitative research is, I, I describe trends in the data by saying what this person said and then what that means to me or what that informs me about. Uh, is it about you know low action points? Is it about you know unfun in this 
part or whatever, whatever the, the data is, and then I'll collate all that data into, um, I'll group it all into, you know, how many people said that and how many people said this, and then it all sort of bubbles up like a bubble sort up into the the most, the trending things pop up to the top, and that's generally what I deal with or generally what I say, you know, I'll tell Jay mostly about that. Um, if only one person says it out of 50 playtests, you know, chances are I'm not going to deal with it. Or, you know, I'm, I'm, I have written it down, but if not, nobody else is talking about it, then perhaps it's not worth looking at at this time. Yep. So, but I do note it, and, you know, remember later, if, uh, you know, after we do it, and 10 more people say it, you know, at another playtest, then it's something to look at. Um, hey, we are close to time, so what do you have to say there, Mr. Hova? So yeah, uh, I uh, it's funny. I don't. I I was always I always feel a little weird in that I don't really write very much uh, either, and I always felt like I should be writing more. But I always seem to capture everything that happens. Um, I just um, I, I I don't want to break that connection. You know, I don't want to be suddenly looking away. I want to stay in the moment. So I'm really glad to hear that Daryl and Sen uh, do the same thing, where they prefer to stay in the moment and try to make that connection with people. Um, I also recall reading something that David Serlin wrote uh, about this, where he said the number of playtests that you'll get for a board game or a tabletop game, um, those face-to-face -face tests, you won't get enough data to really be able to tell if uh, mathematically, if something is broken, you know, uh, a better way of doing that is creating a model for your game, a mathematical model, and then uh, brute forcing it uh, through scripting or some sort of computer model. And I remember, you know, seeing Friedman Frieza when he was testing 504, you know, he had his laptop and he had uh, the script set up where he had all his various scenarios and just running scenario after scenario on them and just seeing how things changed. So uh, nowadays, if you're so technically inclined, um, there's an amazing amount of things you can do. Even if all you can do is Excel, you know, you can do a math mathematical model of your game in Excel, uh, just figuring out roughly about how many points a turn is and so on. Um, and then that's a way that you can sort of use data over there, but you always have to remember that testing, that meat space will trump the data, you know. If the data says something is correct and you're convinced the model is fine and yet it doesn't play that way, trust the play session because that's really where it is and that's where your game is. Hmm, interesting. I'm not surprised that Sterling actually said that. But <laughs> uh, moving on. <laughs> so Evan, let's let's wrap this up with you on your on your last question. Hey, uh, before we do that, I want to say and suggest that I will trade playtests with you, sir. Okay. Okay. So yep. you send me your stuff. I'll send you my stuff. All we'll right. playtest each other's stuff. Um, we will. It's true. Uh, so here's the question. What advice would you give to new designers or new publishers looking to playtest for design and development? What is your one key thing that you haven't said already? Uh, for 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 people looking for playtesters or desperate to get people to playtest their game? That or what to do during a playtest session? What's the best um, advice? Uh, I think the best advice, probably if you're new, is whatever fear you have of giving your game to the world uh, and watching it be ripped to shreds, get over it. Um, because as soon as you give birth to something creative, 
it's not yours any longer and people will destroy it. So if anything's holding you back from playtesting, if you're afraid of what people will think, if you're afraid of what your family or friends will think, if you're afraid if, if, you're afraid if you've secretly created a terrible game, you probably have. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> get over it. Uh, get out there. Uh, take the hits. Uh, learn from it and, and, and keep iterating and keep creating and keep making stuff. Don't Excellent. let fear hold you back. This comes from the fellow who read out all the ones one day yeah. for uh, our games. That was pretty funny. That was. We should do that again. Oh, we will at the gathering, of course. It's a gathering tradition now. Yeah, that's a total gathering tradition now. Uh, Tyler, you had a last question? Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well then, Gil, I'll yeah. ask. Uh, we're wondering for you, uh, for any uh, kind of... Uh, advice that you would give to a new designer uh, when it comes to uh, maybe some of the questions or the way that they uh, interact with their playtester. Any advice on that department? Um, I mean, uh, I the first thing that comes to mind, I'm not sure if it total, strictly answers your question, but uh, the cringe rule. If you are cringing inwardly or outwardly as you explain a rule, then there's something wrong with that rule, you know? Uh, and there's a lot of my early games that uh, failed the cringe rule, and I realized, wait a second, I'm cringing because I know there's a problem with this rule. So, right. um, you know, if, if something seems not right, it is. It is not right. Ha. Love it. So, Love it. so maybe right, people well. should only be allowed to draw their left hand, not their right hand. <laughs> <laughs> now, see Punk... Whose hand is the game? Cringe rule. Yes. All right. Well, I just uh, I want to thank uh, Sen and Tyler for uh, hosting this episode with me, and I also want to give a big thanks to Evan, Derek, and Gil Hova, our guests for this evening. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us and share some uh, horrific playtest experiences, but also uh, share some advice so that maybe our listeners can avoid some some of the pain or at least uh, find that good pain and uh, make their games better. Uh, Till next week, uh, we just want to ask our our viewers, our supporters, uh, keep sending us your questions, your ideas, your suggestions. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on YouTube. uh, You can find us at our website, themeeplesyrupshow.com. Uh, We are so thankful for your support, and we just want to encourage you to keep making great games. We look forward to playing your game soon. Have a great night. Thank you.